All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Players Impact Podcast, live today from Boston. My guest today is Matt Marizio. He is a former pro baseball player and now wealth advisor at Beck Bodie. Matt, what's up, man? Hey, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on this. Absolutely. It's been fun hanging out at the first two TPI events in Vegas at CES and down at the Super Bowl in Atlanta. Talk a little bit about kind of your involvement with TPI and you know where you first heard about it. So I first heard about it through a group of guys that I get uh, that I'm connected with here in Boston. We meet fairly regularly. Um, they connected me to Jason Lavender, who um, who started with Tracy, and then eventually I was introduced to Tracy, and I was so attracted to it just because, for me, being a former athlete, like once you have played professionally, there's this brotherhood, brother sisterhood, where where you almost feel like for life you're connected to those those types of people, people that have done that. Um, and having walked in those shoes and played alongside guys that really got some bad advice and made some poor investments, hearing what the Players Impact is doing to, to safeguard athletes from those, like my cousin's mechanic deal uh, that athletes get offered a lot, um, it was really appealing to me. So I wanted in. I, I had, to, had to meet Tracy, had to figure out how I could get involved. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, so let's talk about your playing career first. You know, it sounds like your involvement with TPI and kind of what you're doing now is uh, it all stemmed from, you know, your career on the field. So uh, tell us your story. You know, where did you play? High school ball, you know, college ball, pro ball. Uh, walk us through kind of uh, the journey. All right. Um, how much time do you have? <laughs> we, got, we got an hour and 40 more minutes in this room <laughs> here. <at WeWork. laughs> um, so I grew up in Waltham, which is a suburb right outside of Boston. Played all through Waltham Public Schools as a pitcher and a shortstop. I was drafted in the 48th out of 50th round as a senior in high school out of Waltham High as a pitcher shortstop, which interestingly would have landed me in Idaho Falls, Idaho. They were the uh, a San Diego Padres affiliate at the time. Fast forward four years later, I converted to catcher in college at Northeastern here in Boston. So I had dreams of heading to the south like a lot of Northeast baseball guys, but I ended up staying in my backyard. Converted to catcher, became a catcher, and ultimately a catcher closer in college, um, and then was drafted as a catcher in the 17th round by the Kansas City Royals, and I ended up in none other than Idaho Falls, Idaho still. You were destined to go to Idaho. It was in my future, and I eventually went back there again. So I played four years as a catcher. I went short season, low A, high A, um, and then back to high A as a catcher, as a backup catcher, and if you know anything about baseball, that's... That's not the, the path to the big leagues. So it was about three-quarters of the way through the season then where they approached me and had seen me pitch in college and asked if I wanted to try. And of course, I mean, the other, without telling me, the other option was go home. So, yeah, I'll take a fifth season. Um, so I went back to Idaho Falls, Idaho as a pitcher this time and called up to Burlington, Iowa midway through that season. But... Um, I was basically a diamond dusting right-hander is what it turned out to be. I would have stayed on as a bat boy if they offered me that spot to play in the, in the show, but uh, they didn't. So that was it. So from there, um, well, I guess we could probably get into that, but, but life happened pretty quickly after that. But that was my playing career, the uh, well-decorated playing career I had. Right. And I love, to, <laughs> I love to start with the playing careers you know, for the guests that we have on this podcast because I think there's a lot of lessons that can be drawn you know, from an athlete's playing career and looking at what they're doing now in business. And it sounds like 
kind of the themes of what you were saying is uh, one passion. Like you said, you would have just stayed on to be the bat boy if they asked you to. Like <laughs> you love the game and it seems like, you know, what you're doing now, you're passionate about that too and kind of helping individuals. Uh, and second, you're adaptable. It seems like, you know, you're willing to be a team player and uh, put yourself in a position to be successful and achieve your goals, but also, you know, kind of whatever the team needs. So um, what are some of those uh, lessons that you learn kind of going through, it sounds like, you know, uh, not a rocky career, but it definitely pulled you in a lot of different directions. Um, what lessons do you carry from those experiences, you know, in your life today? Wow, that's, there's a bunch. Um, I actually, at one point, post-playing, I just wrote down everything I learned as an athlete. <clears throat> and I have, I have that giant list. But I ended up consolidating that list into 10, 10 meaningful takeaways that I realized not in the moment. So when I was riding the buses across the Midwest and stuff, like I wasn't, I didn't learn, I didn't know then what I was learning. But in hindsight, entering real world America, corporate America, the business world, and interacting with people who were not like-minded necessarily, who were not athletes, I realized, wow, like I don't see the world the same as a lot of people. You're kind of in an insulated bubble as an athlete where like everybody else sees it like you do and they're trying to accomplish the same goal. And then once you gotta get outside, that's where I really learned what I learned five years, the five years prior. Um, I, there are so many and I can, I have the blog that I wrote with those 10, maybe we can link it in their show notes or anything, but um, a big one that I, that I learned was that you are always replaceable. And that was a humbling experience but I remember one story distinctly where we got, we were in off a 10 or 11 hour bus ride, got in at like 4 or 5 a.m. And a guy got called into, one of our, my teammates got called into the manager's office. So when, you, when you're traveling, you drive back to the stadium where you have your gear, or you drop your gear off, excuse me, get into your clothes and head back home to wherever you live. So we were at the stadium, the bus pulled up, he got called in the office. Handed a plane ticket home at 4 or 5 a.m. after like a week-long road stand. And maybe like, I don't know, five hours later, whenever it was, we show up to the ballpark at 1 or 2 o'clock. There's a new name tag, a new jersey, a new name on that in the starting lineup that night. And it was like, wow, literally five hours later, boom, there's a new person and the game goes on. And it was a good experience for me because growing up as an athlete, especially if you play professionally, you are for a long time the best on the team or one of the best. And then to get to a spot where you're no longer the best and you're not even close and there's someone else to, right chasing your heels right behind you, um, it's a pretty interesting and it's a really valuable life lesson to never think that you're too good for anything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so where do you make the jump from all those lessons learned, all the you know twists and turns in your path you know, to professional baseball, where does kind of wealth management and wealth advisory come into the picture? Like, when do you realize that that's your passion and, you know, perhaps even your, your calling in life? Um, it came about unplanned. I actually was, was um, I had a relative distaste toward the industry. There's a lot of stigma in my industry. My industry does an awesome job at making things seem incredibly confusing when they don't need to be. So I just... There was, I liked the markets. I liked figuring out how to, how to make money. Um, but I didn't like everything I had met about a lot of advisors. And obviously, I, don't, I didn't meet everybody, so I don't know all strategies. But um, 
what I had learned from a lot of people seemed pretty vanilla and pretty similar, and it was hard for me to distinguish anything different among every advisor I'd ever met. And given that I was a, an athlete, I think I fooled a bunch of people. They thought I'd make a ton of money in that career, so they sat down with me early in my career. So I got to have a lot of good conversations with advisors, but I was never really impressed by any of them. And it wasn't in it was through my career, my job, the first the job after baseball, pre-financial advising. So that job was in the financial world, but it was a sales role trying to meet a lot of hiring managers within the Greater Boston area. It, it was in a, for a staffing firm. Um, but I had met through that, I met our managing partners and learned about a strategy that was like head and shoulders to me better than anything I heard at heard because it related to me as an athlete. There was a, a emotionless, well-defined game plan that was literally followed daily to make sure that event, it would lead to ultimate success. And for an athlete, we live and die by repetition. Like you do the same thing. It's Groundhog Day. Literally, there's t-shirts for spring training with Groundhog Day in the back because I don't know if you've seen that movie with Bill Murray, but it's literally the same thing every day for nine months straight. But that's the repetition that you thrive on because you know that that sticking to that game plan will ultimately, hopefully, lead to success. And now we have an, uh, I'm happy to be part of an investment strategy that I can stick to that makes a lot of sense. So for me, um, having that, knowing it can help anybody I speak with better than anybody else that I, uh, that I had met in the past, knowing that I have that plus having the benefit of old teammates that I know they were given poor advice in hindsight, um, now I feel like I'm, I have that opportunity like I spoke about earlier in the beginning where I feel like I can protect my brothers or sisters, you know, my other athletes from lackluster advice. So for me, it's all about being able now to help help my family, you know, my extended family will say, and and get them to a place that they just couldn't get to on their own. So like really like coaching and educating is are big for me. Right. Talk a little bit about what it means to you to be a part of a team. Um, and you have your Beck Bodie team. You also have your TPI family. You just talked about kind of the extended family. Um, you recently put out an Instagram post, I think, of some, along those lines about, you know, one thing you missed about playing was being with the guys, you know. Yeah. So what does it mean to you to have a firm that you believe in, you believe in the thesis, and then also parallel pathing it with a group like TPI? It's When it's the right team, I, I mean, it's so cliche with Jim Collins, good to great book about having the right people on the bus, uh, man, that makes a huge difference. And that was something I learned, like we talked about post-playing when I was around a bunch of different people with different goals, that they were not the right teammates for me. So so to have a team in TPI and a team at Beck Bodie and a team in general, it's um, my family life, like my wife is my number one supporter. I couldn't do any of this without her. And having that is... It's impossible to succeed without that. Like, for me, I've learned that nobody's successful in a, in a vacuum. Like, there is no solo, self-made millionaire, right? Everybody has had help along the way. Mentorship, somebody who made the right introduction. They met somebody that propelled them forward. But it's all about making sure that you're surrounding yourself with the right people. So for me, without a team, success is impossible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a lot of our audience is 
within the pro sports world. They could be athletes themselves or former athletes. What's one or two pieces of uh, wealth advice that you can share on the podcast? Nothing proprietary, <laughs> but any any piece of kind of free information that you could give as like a rule of thumb or anything that these pro athletes can look out for. Um, I would tell I would I would tell them if they're. So are you saying like what to do with their money, finding somebody to manage their money, or doing it themselves? Um, it could not? be it could be either. Just how could they make smart decisions with their money, whether it's managing it themselves, you know, I guess someone else managing it makes it a little complicated, but just any kind of rules of thumbs that you could, you know, share with these athletes. Um, okay. So I'll relate it to, I'll relate it uh, to my playing career. I remember um, we sat at this down in, in Vegas. You might remember this. So I would sit in the batting cage and I feel real good taking a bunch of swings, line drives off the back screen. And I would feel so good that I'd want to do more. And I would keep going. And I'd keep hammering until I didn't hit the back screen anymore, which would frustrate me. And I, my thick-headed nature, hard-charging nature would say, i got to keep going. i got to keep trying. And I'd end up basically ruining a, a pretty good hitting session because I got fatigued. I was no longer hitting line drives with the back screen. It was more like rollovers and pop-ups. And then I'd be frustrated. And it was a snowball effect that made me realize that um, more isn't more. So how that applies for me to investing is that I see every day people with portfolios of like literally sometimes thousands of companies within it. And that, sure, like theoretically, you won't, uh, if, the, if your companies go down, you won't lose a ton of money, although there's statistic, statistics that will tell you that that's still even, you don't need that many. But having too much doesn't mean it's better, right? So owning a bunch of companies, whether they're startup investments or stock market or real estate or whatever it is, more isn't necessarily more. So over diversification is something I see a lot of. So to me, make sure that my advice is make sure you are either an expert in the area or you have somebody who is an expert in an area and they're making concentrated investments for you on your behalf or you're doing it. Um, That'd be one piece of advice that, that I would recommend. And the other one is get your emotions out of it. I would say have a reason. Whatever you're buying for an investment is buy, know when you're going to buy, when you're going to sell, what you're going to buy, when you're going to sell, and what you're going to reinvest in prior to setting a dime into whatever the investment is. Because once you have money on the table, your emotions take over and your decision making is clouded. So... If you want to relate that to sports, uh, if you get in your own head, like as a hitter, I also use baseball, at, in your first at-bat, at-bats two, three, and four, probably not going to be so good. Right. No, I think it makes a lot of sense and it's very you know, practical advice. Um, so I want to pivot a little bit and talk about kind of you personally, um, get away you know, from kind of the actual tactics of you know, wealth and stuff like that. Sure. Um, you, you mentioned earlier about everyone kind of has like those few moments or few people that really uh, change the course or create the course in your life, whether it's an introduction or anything like that. Um, who, who was that one person or few people for you? I think I'm still meeting them. I'll be honest. Um, it was first my wife, no doubt. She grounded me and, and stretched me in ways that I, I just wasn't able to do myself. So, so that's definitely number one. And then, it's, it's strange to say, but I, I see people 
as mentors, given the like the information age where we can have access to people otherwise you never would have in the past, I see people as mentors that don't even know I exist, which might sound weird, but I'll give you an example. Um, I listened to and I went to a boot camp, uh, business building boot camp by a guy named Grant Cardone. And he's a pretty polarizing guy, but he but a lot he has a lot of good stuff that he says. And he said, and it resonated with me that he realized early on in his business career that in his immediate community, he didn't necessarily see the people that could really pull him to the places he was trying to get to. So he needed to extend beyond his community. And he did that through books and uh, magazines, things like that, reading. Today we have podcasts and audiobooks and Instagram. You can, you can get deep into the minds of some incredibly successful people because they're willing to share that content that you don't even, they don't even know you exist, but they kind of don't need to, so long as you can take what they're saying, like you do as an athlete, take what a coach, is said, coach says, figure out how that applies to you and your game, and then implement. Right. I think information has been so romanticized where it's like, all because it's a, a video or a podcast or uh, maybe a business vlog like Gary Vee has, like there's so much to be learned and it's almost so much more genuine than just learning from words on like a textbook or something like that. Like when we grew up even, yeah. um, it's so different now for, you know, kind of the next generation. So I completely agree. It's kind of like there's so many different people who could in the future you could meet or you might not even need to meet them for them to really redirect the course of your life, which is kind of crazy. It is crazy. Um, but I agree. So talk about, you know, baseball is a game of failure. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure there was a bunch, not just in, in the games, but just over the course of your career. But what's one moment you can point to looking back that um, was that, you know, change of course moment, adversity for you? Um, the one that I can recognize in now, in hindsight, although I wouldn't believe it at the time, that really was like the beginning of the end for my playing career, was when I stopped battling for that starting role and was designated as a backup catcher in my third season. It was somewhere in the middle of my third season. The coach at the time talked to me and said, you're going to be the backup. The other guy's going to be the starting catcher. And emotionally, I was so frustrated and that crushed me. And I, I vowed not to let it affect me and I would still continue to do my thing. And I was always there from the day I stopped playing. I was the guy doing extra work. I was always that hard worker, hustler, grinder, whatever term you want to use. But now learning about what I know, you know, I'm reading right now, um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which is a 1937 book. A guy like, actually Ed Milet is a guy that I follow a bunch. He, rec he recommends that book. It's one of his first books. And it's astounding to read. That was written in 1937. There's, he profiles 500 of the wealthiest at the time over a 25-year time period. And it's literally like listening to people, the influencers of today, which is wild to me. But now, but he talks a lot about the mind and how the, the, your mind controls your actions and controls the outcome. And I know I was defeated now like, because I would show up if I was in the lineup toward the end of that season and the subsequent years, I get nervous and I get, I wasn't excited anymore. So I was defeated. So, so it's a cool learning experience for me to be able to name that and, and move forward from that. But that was definitely the beginning of the end, the pivotal moment of my career, right? Where I and now can realize that was it. I was done. Right. 
I think I think whether it's sports or business, we all have that moment where we're, we're either passed over or selected over. And it could be justified. It could not be. And sometimes things are just out of our control. So it seems like pretty valuable takeaway. And, you know, you have the same kind of habits, you know, from playing that you bring to your day-to-day life. I know that from kind of knowing you personally and kind of your mentality. So, yeah. um, so before my last question for the podcast, where if people want to connect with you either on social media or learn more about Beck Bodie, where can they get that information? Yep. The Beck Bodie site is beckbodie.com, B-E-C-K-B-O-D-E.com. Um, I have a personal website with a, with an investing blog, matthewmarizio.com, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-M-O-R-I-Z-I-O. Dot com, and then on social, I'm at Matt Marizio, M A T T M O R I Z I O for everything. Um, mainly active on Instagram, Facebook, uh, some LinkedIn, and I should be better on Twitter, but but I'm not as active on that. It's hard. It's hard being a one man show, <laughs> especially right. with five kids, right? Yeah, right. We need to talk <laughs> about that. Yep, with five kids, it keeps you busy. Yep. Uh, so last question, I end every episode, you know, of the podcast with this question, but. Um, between your playing career and all the lessons we've discussed today and, you know, what you're doing now with Beck Bodie, what's the impact that you're trying to generate to, to leave behind? Um, for me, uh, I'm, my faith is, is really important to me, guys, every decision I make in my life. And I want that faith to, to be seen through me. And my wife and I have a goal of one day owning a coastal beach house in Maine that we can impact a thousand families' lives that otherwise couldn't couldn't be able to spend a, a vacation getaway in Maine, we want to be able to provide that. Beyond how that looks, we'll, that'll be to be determined, but that's that's a legacy that we want to leave. Yeah. And we want, I guess, let me give you two. So there's that, and then I want my children to live through that so that they can go and do it bigger and better than we ever could. Right. Create the, the generational legacy. Yeah. I love it. Hopefully they follow suit and... It's always, Hopefully I can link you this probably more important. This is always my favorite part of the interview because you really find out like who people really are. Like, yeah. you know, we've had maybe six, seven episodes that have been released and a couple more coming, but everyone's doing different things. You know, most, almost all the guests so far have been professional athletes or have mm-hmm. some sort of sports background. So just amazing to hear kind of uh, the whole story of on the field, now off the field, and then yeah. where you're going in the future in terms of impact. I mean, it is the Players Impact Podcast, you know what I mean? So it's all about yeah. you know, combining the on the field and the off the field to really make a difference, you know? That's a great ending question. I didn't even make the connection between yeah. impact and impact. Yeah, well done. Exactly. Yeah. No, absolutely. Matt? Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for the time, yeah, guys. Yeah, a lot of fun. Guys, if you enjoyed this episode with Matt, live here from Boston, WeWork, 33 Arch Street, uh, please <laughs> subscribe, share it with a friend, leave us five stars. We really appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Kyle, for the space.